0: series which is now finally available to buy in the united states click on the banner on one of us order today and join in the fun now because delicious volume two yum 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 is coming really soon a perfect gift for your child or those of you who are forever young at heart one of us strongly recommends this one been a, a hot minute but digital noise has returned with sir john golson it's me it's
1: sir john golson it's me i'm that's me i'm that's me <laughs> that's me you're talking about there yes it is hi how are you i'm fine i don't think we've talked on the air on the air i don't think we've talked on the podcast since fantastic fest
0: yeah i think it's been right before fantastic fest yeah many christmas i know it's been over a month since the digital noise yeah i just realized uh recently i was like wow it's it's it has been a month since fantastic fest holy crap yeah yeah it's weird how you doing i'm okay fully recovered at this point from fantastic fest
1: finally as of yesterday yeah, as of
0: yesterday <laughs> <laughs> it took a co- couple days just to get we part of it is you know you're a weak enough weird fantasy existence that's not like anything else in your life and getting back into normal life is hard adjusting to like oh this is just now i just go to work and do normal things
1: i was finding in my last years at the fest that my stamina wasn't what it used to be sure that in the early days i could do the 8 a.m press screenings and then do five movies a day yeah and maybe i might not off during one and if i if i excused myself then i was good for whatever else was going to happen that night right and in the last couple years i was there i was i was really forcing myself to try to take in as many movies as i could and then (laughs) often only seeing like two or three out of the five right
0: No, I mean, I've gotten, I've been enough years now that I know, like, you always start strong. You're like, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rock this thing. I'm gonna do five movies a day for the first couple days. And then there's just a point you go, I just need a day off. And they have like a a home thing you can watch them at home. So I'll be like, I'm just gonna sit at home in my underwear and watch like two or three and like, you know, eat junk food and not have to talk to people. That's nice, but usually that's enough. By the end, I'm like, you're going to more like two to three movies a day. <laughs> you have to. It's the only way to regain, to keep your sanity. But anyway, there's we did an extensive coverage of it this year. You can check out the reviews for separate films on infestation. Some really good stuff that came out of there this year. Oh
1: yeah. There was a lot of stuff that I was already going on VOD platforms and like searching just based on the reviews that I was seeing come out mm. of one of us. Yeah. There were uh, a few, there were a couple of horror, horror titles. Like there were, I want to say at least three horror films where i was like that's not on my radar at all yeah like where i was looking it up
0: the one of the ones strong ones this year was uh that i didn't have on my radar was from the director of uh, one of the directors of the original wreck films Mm -hmm. wreck one and two uh Hame bellegaro or something like that i forget his name but uh his new movie venus Mm -hmm. which was so good and it felt it it played kind of like a darker toned suspiria sequel and I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to pretend this is the third movie in the Suspiria, Suspiria trilogy because it's better than Mother of All Tears. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's, it's so often nowadays something will play a fest and it'll hit VOD like the week after. So I was immediately, when I was seeing the titles you guys were praising, mm-hmm. I was immediately going to Voodoo and Amazon and like <laughs> searching for them <laughs> yeah. just to see if they were there yet. Sometimes,
0: so. I mean, I know, I know one of them uh, by Noah Segan, who's, uh, you know, kind of good friend of the fest and a lot of people know him I and mean, you worked with, worked in the film, blood, uh, Rel- Blood Relatives. Blood Relatives was yeah. one of the ones we really liked. And that's, I don't remember if it's on Shudder yet or about to be on Shudder. November
1: but... 11th. Oh, we're getting the plugs out of the way early. November <laughs> 11th on Shudder. And I don't know if it's also going to be on AMC Plus because sometimes, they, sometimes yeah. they have the same content. But, yeah, they're, uh, they're owned by the same parent yeah. company. So. But it is uh, it is on Shudder November 11th. Well, and I, you can see me in the trailer even, which shocked. That was the... Biggest shock to me was watching the trailer and seeing my face in the trailer. Wait, I have like, I'm in the trailer. Probably
0: because the guy who cut the trailer was at the screening when everyone went, when you popped on screen for like the 45 seconds or so you're in the movie, everyone went, woo! Were
1: you in the big auditorium? Yeah. Okay. So the, there was it. a story. Yeah. There's a story there. Okay. That apparently I made this movie make popular movies. This is what I heard. Now, it may just have been friends going, hey, it's John, yay. Yeah. But what I heard was the guys that programmed make popular movies at the Nashville... Uh, the Chattanooga Film Fest uh, didn't know I was in Blood Relatives. And when they saw me pop up, they immediately started clapping, huh. which made my friends go, Oh, John. Yay. Oh, we're doing like this. We could, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, so it was they got caught off guard because they had not seen me in other things other than make popular movies. Right. Saw me in that. And were like, it's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that's I heard. Funny. Now, m- maybe it was just friends. I yeah. don't know, but that's what I heard.
0: But, you know, I mean, either way is nice. It was nice yeah. to hear.
1: I was in a small auditorium. Okay. I was in the real tiny like did theater one the right, one that only right. has like two rows in
0: but that's weird you're starting in the movie they should put you in the no no row. they
1: were making they were making a concession just to find me a seat they okay. really were they were going out of their way just to ensure it because it was my birthday and i i sent emails and was like may i pretty please come see the movie i'm in at fantastic fest sure. know, you know and they found me a seat in the small auditorium there was no mm-hmm. applause break in the small auditorium there was a slight elbow nudge from cargill who was sitting directly to my <laughs> left but that was no applause <laughs> break <laughs>
0: that's funny anyway you should see that movie it's really good. Blood Relatives. I'll. I'll I'll see it. No, I'm talking <laughs> to the audience, not you. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 John's like, wait, uh, people listen to this? <laughs> uh, before we get started, though, I want to just say, have you seen Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities? I watched the first episode. Okay. With uh,
1: Tim Blake Nelson.
0: Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to throw a shout out to it, because honestly, I'm always nervous about anthology shows, because- you know, let's face it, most of them are mixed bag at best. I think this is not only the best one in a long time. It may be the best one. Like, uh, period. Like, mm. I, I've never seen an anthology show before where every single episode I was like, I really like that. And, uh, yeah, uh, full hats off. I'm only saying it because our review keeps getting delayed, uh, because, uh. because of somebody who, who's been in and out of town recently, but wanted to throw, throw out my, uh, my hat into the ring for a uh, president of Cabinet of Curiosities fan club. <laughs> <laughs> okay. anyway we're gonna get started with what we do on digital noises review home releases and we're gonna start out with one that the site did review uh, for the theatrical release but i did not see it it was with a bunch of guys who love animation and they were like i don't know how to f- feel about the fact that i think minions the rise of grew is one of the best films in the despicable me series and i was like really because i mean i've seen all of them except for despicable me 3 because apparently across the board even fans which exist of that series say it's not very good but i think they're all okay where
1: are we on these
0: <laughs> where are we on what where are we on these is this the sixth one so there's three Despicable Me's and two Minions, I believe.
1: Okay, so this is the third Minion movie, but the or sixth, second Minion movie, the second Minion movie, okay. yeah,
0: and the the fifth overall. Okay, yeah, uh, I mean, and the Minion movies are just prequels. The only real difference is that Gru, the Steve Carell character, is just a kid in in the Minions films, but they're basically the same thing. Yeah, you know, more they, they realized a while ago. I guess the attraction here is the weird little yellow, like lack of any design minions <laughs> i guess it's like they they went well these funko pops keeps should selling like crazy we should go with the less is more strategy mm-hmm. <laughs> um and i'll tell you I, I like a fun period piece and this is doing sort of like a 70s period piece thing with it and Honestly, that's probably the highlight of the, the, this film is all the seventies stuff that's in it. The way they play with it is kind of fun. I, I wasn't bored. I'm not, I haven't been bored by any of these. They're just not wildly memorable. But here it's like Guru who still wants to be, you know, he wants to be a super villain, but nobody, cause his kid doesn't take him seriously, but now he's got minions. And, uh, he ends up with the super powerful item uh that all the main bad that he steals from the main bad guys kind of by accident and uh they all want it and he's on the run. And then the guy who used to be the head of the main bad guys, but was kicked out slash attempted assassinated by them also wants it. But then he acts like kind of a mentor to Gru and yada, yada, yada. What does it matter with the plot? The point is, was it funny? Yeah, it was kind of funny.
1: Um, so I have a buddy who, uh, like an online buddy, Brian Lynch, who did the stories for these movies. I think the past couple, uh, in this franchise, uh, so it's, I, I'm not close enough friends with him where I need to recuse myself, but I am close enough friends with him where I feel guilty saying that I didn't like this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I didn't, I did not enjoy this. I thought, uh. There's a lot of the second half of the movie that kind of relies on, like, they they run through Chinatown and catch the attention of a little old lady acupuncturist who teaches them Kung Fu. Yeah, voiced thought, by Michelle Yao. Yeah, I, I, none of that, like, uh, Asian stereotype stuff was really working for me, um, and I didn't find it funny. This is also, though, to be fair... I've only seen Despicable Me two and none of the others, uh, so I'm not so you're missing deeply all entrenched these... in the lore. Maybe there were references I didn't get.
0: I was told there were, oh. I, yeah, but because one of our crew, uh, Spider Mike, he's seen them all multiple times. He's a genuinely a fan of these films in this series, mm-hmm. and was like, "No, no, no! Yeah, there's all these callbacks to the original." And I was, I. If so, I missed every single one of them.
1: Yeah, I was not a fan. I thought every... Other than one of the bad guys being named Vengeance, and he was like a Viking-themed villain, other than that pun... Uh, none of this worked for
0: me. <laughs> yeah, all the villains have have pun uh, names as you might expect in this sort of thing. Pretty much, um, like Jean Claude Van Damme is Jean Claude, who's got a giant mechanical lobster claw. Dolph Lundgren playing Vengeance, uh, you know. uh Lucy Lawless is Nun Chuck, who's a nun who wields nunchucks, you know, as it were. Yeah. Um, they're bad puns. I'm not saying they're good puns, but I don't know. I mean, this thing is just it's just own everything at the wall seeing what sticks and and more of it this is a much better film than the last minions film i'll I'll tell you that john golson
1: i'll have to take your word for it and hopefully you won't receive it in the mail and hand it off to me (laughs) this was not for me i'm not the intended audience for this at the same time though so there's part of me that acknowledges that but i've I've certainly seen animation I thought was good and uh, this was this, not it. This was not my jam. This was, this was, I guess what the, what the despicable me product is, which is, uh, yeah, pop songs and yellow pills that talk gibberish, and <laughs> do physical comedy bits. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, that's sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot of extra features here though. If you're uh, like, not like John and, and still have like a kid inside you somewhere. Um, and that is uh, there's two mini movies one where they're trying to impress a snooty art critic which I actually thought was funnier than anything in the movie so like one of them becomes by accident like a huge art sensation in the world by just his brand of accidentally falling over shit and causing destruction uh, and the other one not as funny where they're playing like D&D basically and it's like fantasizing what's going on it's like outtakes extended scenes character profiles looks at the animation process looks at the how they went into the doing the 70s stuff the martial arts stuff how to draw and animate with brad abelson uh, which offers tutorials for basically doing if you wanted to draw these yourself type thing uh, make your own minion hideout uh, which <laughs> basically teaches you from basic craft supplies how to make your own craft hideout yeah, I, I did guess. that one did you really no i didn't uh, I, <laughs> I, I just I, what uh, i shocked and then super super style shop which has assembling costumes for plush toy minions which teaches you again how to use your craft skills to well first go spend a bunch of money on minion plush toys and then make costumes for them oh neat yeah i guess anyway we're gonna move on to another film that ostensibly is pointed at children but maybe in the wrong way <laughs> called dream child it is
1: not for children <laughs> no it is not it's not for children
0: this is kino Lorber's putting out this 1985 british drama film that interested me for two reasons one i am a big lewis carroll carroll fan uh, of his works and alice in wonderland in particular uh and two jim henson and his muppeteers Tears worked on this and created a lot of the creatures from uh, that appear in it in sort of dream hallucination sequences from that that are pretty cool it's like oh big big jim henson fan so yeah sure i mean this is a project i'm like uh, how did i never know this even existed you know that was the most surprising thing like i never even heard of this fucking thing and with ian holm playing you know lewis carroll not not his actual name Uh, What was his actual name? Uh, It's uh, Charles Dodgson was his actual name. But this film goes by a now scholars say outdated perspective on Dodgson, which says that he had sexual intentions towards the real life. Young Alice Hargreaves. Isn't
1: that in his letters? Like it's documented, right?
0: He was very impressed with her, to be sure. No question. But. The general thought now is that he actually was chasing her older sister, who was of age, Uh, even if it's still creepy as fuck, because he was like 50 something and she was like 19 or something. Yeah. Um, But no one I mean, we're never really going to know. But generally speaking, scholarly wise, they've kind of turned around and said his affection towards Alice is probably more trying to get his foot in the door to get to the older daughter. but regardless he was well known for his affection uh and and uh writings for children like he was he was much beloved in his time to be sure yeah and was treated you know with quite a bit of honor and respect and this has the the perspective of the elderly widow version of alice who now it's a hundred years since the original book or whatever and uh there's they're doing like an anniversary type thing. She's going to the U.S. for the first time. Yeah, she's, she's going to the U.S. for the States. first thing, and she's very persnickety, and she's got an assistant with her uh, who's much younger. And she's, as it's going on, is sort of flashbacking to when she was a child and talking with the the elder Dodgson and all the m- sort of crossover memories between what was stuff in the book that happened and what stuff happened in her real life, and it's very bucolic. You know, it's like lots of British countryside lit through a soft, fuzzy lens <laughs> and lots of picnics and what have you. And honestly, not a lot really happens in this movie. Its point clearly is supposed to be nodding heavily towards that he was wanted a relationship with a very underage Alice, but never actively pursued it. Yeah. Um, and so it's that aspect is so fucking creepy, it's, but they uh... never go there in terms of like, like they, they acknowledge it over and over and over again, but the film chooses to not condemn him for it either. So it's a weird straddling of the line this movie is trying to do all the way down that is just kind of uncomfortable and icky.
1: So she wants to enjoy her trip to the States as much as she can. And the press is hounding her. Peter, you'll see young, young Peter Gallagher in this. The press is hounding her and they want to keep talking about Lewis Carroll. What was he really like? What was he really like? We want to know, you know, they want to interview her about the book and she's sort of like, it's so long ago. I just want to, I just want to visit the US. And you assume through the flashbacks and because of our own discomfort with pedophilia, rightly so, that the reason she doesn't want to talk about it is because the wounds are so far in the past she doesn't want to reopen them. But then the movie comes to its ending and that's not the stance that the movie takes so not to spoil anything but i feel like it's worth talking about if we're talking about the movie is the revelation at the very end that it's sort of like no one really understood that he really did love me and Mm. it's like gross like that's it's sort of like i i could i was i was kind of on board with this idea when you were leaving it in my head that she didn't want to talk to the reporters because she didn't want to relive this icky situation from her past. Yeah. But when it resolves with this absolution of him where it's like, but his love was deep and true. Right. And it's kind of like the Ew. F- hell. The <laughs> fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like um, so that, uh, I don't think the actress um, playing the elderly Alice finds the character to play. Um, I don't think she gets a handle on the material. Because I think the movie has a doesn't have a handle on the material, which leaves the actress out to out to sea. Yeah, and there's so much of her in it that because she doesn't have a handle on the material, that it makes the movie difficult to watch. Um, and I I honestly find the hints and creations in it like they're kind of immobile and among the most grotesque. He's I think the Creature Studios ever made. It made
0: odd dark crystal type choices and yeah. for for the creature creation here they they're definitely not cute and lovable they're they're off-putting and yeah. kind of
1: nightmarish even from a design standpoint they're they're fuggly
0: yeah <laughs> yeah but i i mean that clearly is the intention yeah but i mean i thought they were really cool but i wish they had had more to do
1: they feel like they belong to a different movie
0: yes yeah yeah, because supposedly like, hey, her flashbacks to these, her interacting with these characters are not how they happened in the book. Mm-hmm. They're different, like versions that sort of reflect her feelings of, I guess that, uh, like, of, of thinking about, about, back about this time. And so they are, they do have a tinge of nightmare about them. It's, it's clearly like, okay, well, these aren't as cute and cuddly. They are twisted. But again, here's something that leads you to believe the movie's going a certain way. And then it just totally isn't which in its own way is
1: even more icky. And that stuff's not in there a lot. So for people listening that might be interested because of the Henson stuff, there's really I can only recall I think two maybe three scenes and all of them are just a couple seconds long. So yeah. even then it's like they they're not even threaded through the movie in a way that adds anything to the movie itself. They're they sort of uh they sort of appear in specific moments and then that's it. Uh it was this movie is um Considering the talents involved and what it sounds like the plot is about, the movie is uh, pretty disappointing.
0: Agreed. Uh, there are some extra features here from this keynote Lorber release, uh, including a audio commentary that's brand new from author-film historian Lee Gamblin, who does a very dense and researched take on the history and talking about what the film gets right and what it doesn't, um, as well as uh, he also is part of an audio conversation that he does with the director, Peter Medak talking about uh, the characters, who was quite old by the time that uh, he did this. I didn't realize he did The Ruling Class. That's a good movie.
1: Have you ever seen that? 1972? I recognize his name from something else I've seen.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, And so there's the film's theatrical trailer and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, I, I wanted this to be like a, a hidden gem. I was really excited about it. I was like, ooh. Yeah, it's just yeah
1: i saw it when i was a young teen i saw it on vhs uh i was excited to find a jim henson movie i'd never seen and then you know i i didn't walk away liking it but i didn't walk away with any i also didn't couldn't fully grasp the movie sure what it was doing or trying to do uh, in a way i can now
0: yeah that's fair um so you know how a lot of the time on here, we'll be reviewing like an old classic. And you're like, I was so excited to finally get a chance to see this. I realized I should have seen this years ago and yeah. I never ever yeah. get around that to happens. it. Yes. And like most of the time I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I reviewed this on DVD three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this is my time. It's
1: my time
0: down here, uh, to do that with the criterion release of blowout by Brian De Palma had never seen it. And honestly, I did have a reasoning behind never having seen it. I had had opportunities. I had turned them down because I kind of felt like maybe I should watch, uh, Michelangelo Antononi's blow up that this is a pretty direct remake of that had come out. Not that long beforehand. Um, 19 well okay so 10 years or 15 years before in 1966 the only difference being in there the main character is a photographer and here the main character is an like a audio recorder guy like a sound guy yeah but uh, i mean i still want to see the original which was held in great acclaim still is but this is one a lot of people say is hands down de palma's best film So, I was like, okay, it's time to finally see this. But I had read next to nothing about it. Like, I knew who was in it, and that was about it. Yeah. Uh. So I was very excited that Criterion is putting it out. I was like, okay, fine. Let's go ahead and and knock this sucker out. Let's let's check this out in a really good quality copy. And Volta is playing the lead. Jack Terry, a movie sound effects technician who lives in Philadelphia, who when we meet him is recording sound effects for a super low budget slasher film company, but he's very good at his job. And everyone there is like, we can't lose you. <laughs> you know, I don't know whoever's been that way with a sound effects technician, but he's the guy. He's the key sound guy and he's really into his job to the point that he just goes out he goes out at night and just records shit like ambient sound effects for stuff that he can keep in his make his logs of like so one night he's out on this uh recording stuff by like uh, a bridge and recording sounds of like frogs in the water and a car comes along And crashes over the bridge and falls into the water. And he's like, oh, shit. And he jumps in the water and manages to knock out the window and save the passenger, played by Nancy Allen, uh, who's in a lot of De Palma's films, Mm -hmm. Uh, but not the driver. Well, it turns out the driver was a a very well-known politician, and the passenger was a call girl. So people start going, uh man, we'd really appreciate it if you don't say anything about being involved in this in any way or that there was anyone else in the car at the time. Problem is, when he's going back to the sound, he realizes, I'm pretty sure there was a gunshot that happened. Uh, Somebody killed this guy. It was not an accident. Then he starts getting embroiled in this thing. And then it becomes clear, OK, now that he's asking questions, somebody's hunting him and Nancy Allen as well. So it is a very De Palma-ish Very Hitchcock influenced thriller as the Palma films go. But what shocked me the most about this film. Well, first off, I, before I get to that, let me just say, love the way that this is just really about the process of like, you know, sound recording and filmmaking. And like, there's just, there's so much stuff that's really interesting for anybody who's ever been involved in the making of a film on the tech side. Like, really, really fascinating. And the way that is so really well integrated with uncovering the facts of what actually happened some of which are red herrings some of which are actually real i mean it's a proper mystery for you to like try and decode yourself as you're watching what actually happened and really brilliantly done i think on that level but the most shocking thing is the ending which i did not was not aware that's the way this was going to go at all and i think i was just In a bad mood for the rest of the night, (laughs) you know, because it feels like a lot of thrillers that came after it modeled themselves in some ways after this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, they all end with like more of a heroic victory ending. And this does not take a victory lap. No, sir. It does not.
1: Yeah, I was curious while watching it. I had actually just seen the conversation again the week before. And I know that Coppola and De Palma are peers and and friends, and was curious how much of Blowout was, uh, in response to the conversation in sure. some way. You both have, about audio recording. Yeah, you and both spies. have two movies about, uh, audio recordings that lead someone to, uh, an obsession, uh, to uncover an assassination. Both of them have bleak endings. Um, there was part of me that went, was he one upping Coppola? <laughs> like I'm going to, I'm going to do what Coppola did, but I'm going to make it better. <laughs> um, I like the conversation more personally. Um
0: I think was, I like the conversation more too, mm-hmm. but I mean, De Palma is so damn pulpy. Yeah. Like whereas uh, Coppola has a way of sort of dignified restraint in his early films that comes off as classier. Yeah. I don't know.
1: I, I, this is my first time to see this as well. And I loved an hour of it. Absolutely mm-hmm. loved the first hour. Mm-hmm. I did not love the second hour. Okay. Once they find out the whys, which happens about halfway through, and all that settled, and it's not a spoiler to say John Lithgow's in it because he's like third build in the opening credits. Sure. Once it gets to the Lithgow stuff, it feels like a completely different movie, and I was not into that movie. Hmm. I was into the first hour of. I was into the movie that was taking place in the first hour, which was about this sound guy trying to figure out why people were trying to cover up this car crash yeah the discovery of the why you still have an hour's worth of people kind of asking the the killer that they hired to will you please stop killing people and he's like <laughs> nah i'm good <laughs> um and that last hour didn't uh it just didn't it it lost something to me like it, it the movie had me in its grip and it just let me go at that point and and because of that I, w- I was a little disappointed because I know that people consider this like a, a stone-cold classic. And man, it it's one of those where it hurt that I didn't love it because mm-hmm. I would love to say that I loved Blowout based on that first hour. But by the time it was over, I, I didn't love it in the same way I loved that first half. I'm that 100% makes sense.
0: with you the first hour is stronger. It's fascinating what it's doing. And Travolta is delivering the goods as a performer here Mm -hmm. which you can't always say about john travolta but here it's one of his better performances and it's really fascinating watching the way i mean maybe it's just because we're big film guys right but like it's really interesting the way it's shot the uh, i really liked it and then the the point when they go okay well now here's lithgow then it's kind of a standard thriller from then on out but with a unconventional as fuck ending to be sure um, I certainly think that's one of the reasons this holds up so strongly in so many's my mi- so many people's minds, because that's just a gut punch of an ending, if there ever was one. I genuinely really liked this, but I do kinda wish that it had waited longer before it got into more of the standard cat and mouse thriller aspect of it.
1: Yeah, I think that's the issue, is like you are you are with these characters on this journey of discovering the why and, and based on the film's length, you kind of discover the why too, f- too far removed from the finale. Yeah. There's too much space between the resolution of the mystery and the finale of the movie. There's way too much breathing room to do these like stalk and kill type scenes uh you know take away my movie nerd card because it was just like <laughs> I, I liked it no, but it's... i really thought i was gonna love love it I... because i had loved conversation when i watched the conversation for the first time which was during the pandemic it knocked my socks off like i was like that movie's freaking there's always
0: gonna be these films that people talk up that you're gonna go and that was not as good as you said it was i mean we've all been through this john yeah. every every film fan is gonna go through this there's gonna be movies and there are going to be movies that, that people, somebody does, says that to you and you're like, about the conversation and you'll be like, I've
1: lost all respect
0: for you. Yeah. <laughs> you're so wrong. It's, you know, opinions. What are you going to do? Everybody's got one just like an asshole. Um, there's some bonus features here, like murder a la mode, which is, uh, but De Palma's experimental feature, uh, that he did. Uh, actually, it's 1967. So there's a whole nother film here that, that I did not watch and I read reviews of and they said, it's not good. I line. didn't watch it. They said it's not good. But even at the time, they are like, here you can see the beginning of a guy who might turn out to be a really good director, but this isn't going to be the film he's going to be known for. <laughs> um, there's uh, photographs. There were images taken on the set of it by late still photographer Lewis Goldman. There's an interview with the cameraman Garrett Brown, who invented the cam system there you go uh who for some reason talks about the movie Coed frenzy during it uh that uh, i guess portions appear in the beginning of this is an interview with nancy allen i do love nancy allen she's great i love how like all her early films, she plays like a really dumb chick or a hooker and then at, there's a certain point in her career where it changes where suddenly she's a super confident strong woman yeah <laughs> um noah baumbach Does an interview with Brian De Palma. Interesting. We've got a new Baumbach film coming out very shortly. I'm actually super excited about seeing here. And then, of course, the illustrated booklet that comes with criteria and stuff with essay by critic Michael uh, Sragow and Pauline Kael's original New Yorker interview with the director. So that's pretty cool. If you are a fan of this movie, this is a great set. Uh, If you're not, you should see it for yourself. It's genuinely a movie. I'm like, regardless of my, I think both of our lessened feelings about the second half, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make it a bad movie on any level. It's, It's well worth going out of your way to see. And it's definitely part of film history. Definitely a film that influenced a lot of things that came after it. Uh, Not so much 1963's Twice Told Tales, one of g- quite a number of horror anthologies that were coming out around this period of time, dra- directed by Sidney Salco and starring Vincent Price in all three segments, uh all based loosely on works by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Uh, this is from Kino Lorber, and as you guys might know by now, if you listen to Digital Noise by for uh, long enough, there is no Vincent Price title that they offer that I will turned down i am a big vincent price fanboy, <laughs> and like no matter what it is even if like the reviews are like oh this one is horrible i'll be like yeah. you know what let's see it i'm gonna decide for myself uh so this was one of those that would go like i don't care i'm not i don't even need to look it up it's got vincent price in it i'm gonna watch it so the three se- se- segments in here dr high high diggers experiment uh which is two old friends carl's played by sebastian cabot and uh, Alex played by price meet to celebrate Carl's 79th birthday. Uh, apparently 38 years before his beautiful fiance, Sylvia played by Mari Blanchard had died. He lived a solo life as like, I'm just going to be a bachelor because I will never be able to love anyone again. the way that I loved her. She was so perfect. Um, and there's a thunderstorm, and they go into the <laughs> – he's built in an elaborate crypt in a cave for her outside his house, and they see the doors cracked, and they go in there and find that she's perfectly preserved after 38 years. And they think it has something to do with the water that's dripping in from the ceiling, and that, of course, leads to stuff. <laughs> there's Rappaccini's daughter, uh, which is Price keeping his daughter Beatrice, played by Joyce Taylor, in a garden, the, basically a university student, played by Brett Halsey, sees her, falls in love, wants to be with her. Uh, apparently, she is literally venomous to the touch. Like, if you touched her, you would die within 30 seconds, because she was healed by her father with an experimental treatment based on a plant that's just that bad, that's the premise of that one. Then you've got the House it's a of Batman Se- villain. Yeah, right. Well, it
1: reminds me of a specific Batman
0: <laughs> Then you've got the House of Seven Gables, which is obviously the most famous title of the three of these here with Price returning to his family house after being gone for 17 years, bringing his new wife, Alice played by Beverly Garland, his sister, who's very dour and menacing Hannah played by Jacqueline DeWitt has been living in the house and says, there's a curse upon all the men of this family who the man who used to own this house, but lost it in a shady deal to Price's family that all of them died at a certain point And they all die in this one chair, which begs the question, why don't you just get rid of the chair? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. And obviously things are not going to go to plan there. Why don't
1: they call it a house of one chair?
0: <laughs> right? Nobody even talks about the gables. I know. It doesn't even come up. <laughs> the house of the bloody chair. Um, I mean, this is fine. It, it's definitely going. There's like another price, um, an anthology that I, I'll be reviewing. I think I'm our next show with, uh, um, Right. And this is definitely chasing a sort of, um, trying to be classy literature horror in some ways, but you know what I mean?
1: Because all the stories are by Nathaniel Hawthorne.
0: Right. But it's going for more of a literary, well, this is, um, a masterpiece theater horror, which is fine. I don't mind that. I, li- I love that sometimes. These are all okay. They're I like tepid. I, I didn't a very tepid see. Film. I liked him more than that. I'll, I'll give you more than I, more than that, but they all have the lesser episodes of like Twilight Zone feel to it.
1: Yeah, I this is real. This is this is <laughs> this is pretty <laughs> uh, not bottom of the barrel because I've seen some real stinky anthologies, but this is really tepid compared to some others. And I will say, when you hire Vincent Price, there there are three Vincent Prices who appear in movies. There is. I don't give a shit, so I'm going to ham it up, Vincent Price. My favorite. There is actually acting Vincent Price. Yeah, exactly. And there's I don't give a shit, so I'm not going to do anything at all, Vincent Price. And this is that. He's collecting his paycheck, but unlike other paycheck films where he decides, you know what, I'm just going to have fun because I'm getting a paycheck, I'm going to turn the ham (laughs) all the way up to 11, in this one... It's like he shows up and reads his lines and goes home. And I was just like, I don't... There's so few Vincent Price performances I've seen where it's like, I'm not even going to give you the ham. Like, I'm going to show up, say my words, and walk away. This was, as far as Vincent Price stuff goes, kind of interesting to see him do that. (laughs) But that's not, doesn't make for like a great movie. It was just like, oh, he doesn't care. Like, he's not giving it his little extra flair that he gives
0: uh, he did other l- things he did look like he kept looking off camera to like the cue cards <laughs> <target>. <laughs> like what's my line
1: i don't know maybe it was one of those things that was shot in like a week or something like that like thrown oh we can give that some price we can only get him for four days okay get him here now And it's like okay he's showing up and- I,
0: if i remember correctly apparently he was almost inhuman about his qual his ability to remember lines wow like that he would just like pretty much glance at it and be
1: like okay i got it that's like- really I, that i wish i had that
0: to- Every report about it, one of the reasons I like Price so much, he was so famous for being just the nicest guy, mm-hmm. the really great professional to work with. And was like every he got so much work because everybody was like, he knows it. He he reads you. He gets what you want and he does what you want. Yeah. What's your favorite Price film?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm always Dr. Fibes, but like Dr. Fibes is really enjoyable and funky. House on Haunted Hill is um, probably number two. As far as performances go. I, you know, this is a good question. Um, there's so many to choose from. There are so many to choose from. I tell you what, I'm a big fan of. i i so I'm a, I, I've got like a handful. Okay. And I would have to like watch them to really decide.
0: I, I'm going to guess house of wax. No. No. Wow. No. Okay.
1: Um, I would say last man on earth good one uh which I, is I, uh, the original
0: I, version of uh, i am legend i am legend yeah. yeah
1: i think his performance in that is really really solid oh yeah uh
0: and it's basically so, a one-man show
1: yeah <laughs> and, he, and that's one where he is acting so last man on earth is one um the uh mask of the red death is another didn't and- we review that together I don't. If we have, it's been years. I, I
0: know we had it on the show at one point. That's it's been really years good. That we have yeah. uh,
1: Mask of Red Death. All, and,
0: the, all the Corman Poe ones are yeah, really good.
1: And I like uh, that. Well, that was my other one. Is I like uh, Haunted Palace a lot, but mm. not necessarily because of him. I just like that 60s Lovecraft. Uh, I I like the approach to it. Whereas whereas Mask of Red Death, I like because of him and last man on earth i like because of him i don't know anybody could have been in haunted palace and i probably would have liked it the same that's fair so
0: it's a pretty good movie yeah yeah uh yeah just have a weakness for that era in films when they're done just right and there's they were pumping out so many so they were bound to get one out of every 10 just right (laughs) there's a lot of bad ones to be sure all right so our next film is not from that period though we are going Uh, Back to 19 or forward, I guess, to 1976 to a film I had never heard of, but there was a weird sort of like coincidence around this one. It's called Massacre at Central High. All right. And it's got a bunch of people that if you were alive in the 70s and 80s, you'd be like, I've seen everyone in this movie in various television shows playing special guest star of the week or on the love boat or something like that. Like the only person here who's like. Probably a, was a big deal on any level, and not that big a deal was Robert Carradine, yeah, who plays one of the roles. But it just looks like a trashy made-for-TV horror film. But the reason this was notable was because about two weeks beforehand, my friend Martin Thomas, he was going to do a show, our, our, our Trash in the Can show, with a friend Wright. And Wright's like, "So, what's your favorite like like bad movie? Like, what's your bad movie that you'd want to do that like you think is like you think it's a bad movie, but it's also a pretty good movie too." you know that's a weird line but you know what yeah. i mean and he said this and i was like oh i never heard about it and he started telling me about it. I it. was like oh interesting and then like two weeks later i get it in the he mail manifested i know it. he changed my reality Whoa. but funny they screwed up and sent me two copies of it so i was able to just oh, give him one of nice. them and he was so thrilled he was like oh my god <laughs> he was really really excited to have his own copy of this um and uh this is from Synapse. Um, director Renee Dalder, this is a movie that if you were just kind of half paying attention to, it, you would just probably just, and knew nothing about the context of it. You see easily, you just write it off completely, right? I mean, it's not a very well-made film.
1: <laughs> it's like, a, it is literally like an after-school special. Yes. It's made like those old, late 70s, early 80s after-school specials that had like a message. Um that, that is such a relic of a different era. It's a very Gen X thing. Um, but there would be these, you would, you would come home to watch cartoons and oh no, your cartoon had been preempted by today's very special, like after school special. And they were always like public service announcements that led to like, don't do drugs or don't have unprotected sex or don't get in a van with a stranger they were all like yeah like psas dressed up as little mini movie episodes yeah
0: moral vignettes yeah. and
1: this has this if watching any couple minutes of this you either assume it's an episode of chips <laughs> or it's, <laughs> yeah. or it's an after school It
0: has that look <laughs> yeah. to be sure, but it does genuinely take an interesting turn, which I was like, wait, what? Cause and, like you've got like a guy is the new kid coming to school and he's kind of a badass, but there's a set of like yuppie bullies who are there, who are like treating everybody like shit and everybody hates and is scared of them. And he's like, well, we can't have that. So he starts murdering the bullies and everyone's like, but is it him who's murdering? Him? I mean, it clearly is in but, hilariously
1: yeah. elaborate ways.
0: Yeah, exactly. At, like, you know, in abominable Dr. Fox <laughs> levels. Yeah. And then when, like, he's done, this movie takes this weird turn where it's like, well, anytime there's a vacuum of power, the power will be filled by people who will behave exactly the same way as the people who were the abusers, which is, you know, certainly can be a very valid argument. We've seen it happen in, in governments any number of times. Mm. But the fact this movie, a horror movie takes that turn and then he's like, fuck, now I gotta kill all the people <laughs> I was trying to help is a weird fucking twist. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I can't say I liked it, but I did weirdly grudgingly kind of admire what it was trying to do here. I mean, it's definitely got balls.
1: Once people started dying, I liked it more. (laughs) It also has, like, it's funny. There's, like, a cognitive dissonance that happens when you're watching something that looks like 70s TV. It looks like Chips, and then someone is, like, fully nude. You're like, wait, what? This is not supposed to be in front of my eyes right now. This is (laughs) Chips. (laughs) Right. The unedited Chips. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it it, it is punctuated with, like, uh, some gratuitous nudity. Yeah. I, th- really earn it it's rating i guess is it was an r-rated i don't even know if it's rated i mean, i don't know i don't know when it came out if it predates well it's
0: 1976 R-rating. um i don't think that predates r does it
1: i don't know it but was,
0: it's only 87 minutes it was shot on 35 millimeter although you'd be damned if you could tell to watch it yeah um they you know as much as like okay this is an upgrade it's not a we spent a shit ton of money upgrading it upgrade <laughs> i
1: didn't uh i was not I was not upset that I watched it. Uh it probably plays great with an audience. I could yeah. see going to like a Weird Wednesday or something and watching this with like a full capacity album. crowd. Yeah. And people just losing their mind at stuff like the hang gliding death. <laughs> yeah. Or like things like that. Um yeah, it's um it's a
0: threesome that is ended by a rock slide
1: (laughs) it's 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 worth watching (laughs) it's also not good so there you go i don't know how to Mm -hmm. phrase it other than that it's like it is not it's not a good movie i don't know that i would ever watch it again but um if it crosses your paths there are worse ways to kill 80 minutes
0: yeah no i mean i hate it but it's certainly if i just started if i was like it was on and i was like well let's see what this is i would have turned it off after oh yeah 10 minutes. i mean outside of my deep affection for 70s uh feathered hair mm-hmm. on women which is something that should come back yeah you know the fair faucet the feathered hair thing why that has that never been a thing again that should be a thing
1: we'll make it happen
0: you think that you we're I, the tastemakers that and will, I will do make this? It do we
1: have to go get feathered well, hair? We're going to gonna have it? to grow our hair out first.
0: So, uh, interestingly, this is not on this release, but there's an alternative version of this from Italy called Sexy Jeans, where they filmed porno sequences and oh. inserted them into the film. Oh, Italy.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, it's almost surreal that this is a thing for the, all the reasons we're watching like it, it like this is not, this is not what happens in this type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I get why someone could really love this. Um, there's also a steelbook version of this as well. Uh, and there's like a bunch of bonus features in here, like looking back on it and stuff. I mean, like they took it really seriously.
1: I watched a little bit of those. I watched a little bit of the cast talking about how they, Got cast in the movie when they were really young and like for a lot of them, it was their very first role. I I actually did watch that uh, special feature and it was semi interesting. They're just kind of talking about their memories and uh, and, you know, what they were doing at the time.
0: So that was a film that wasn't made as porn, but was edited to become porn in at least one country. So let's talk about a film that was made to be porn, but then the actor was like, no, I'm too good for that. We're just going to make a horror movie. Top Gun Maverick. No, not Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. That's Count Yorga, Vampire, and the sequel, The Return of Count Yorga, which is now available in a two-for set from Arrow on Blu-ray. This, is, I, this has been on my, like, I should probably see this at some point list. Now, I'm not going to go like blow out bucket list, yeah. right? But like, I should probably see this at some point list forever and ever and ever. You know, like that. And what's the one uh, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter? Oh, that's is-
1: that's a blast. I
0: still need to see that. one. That's up. a
1: swash. It's like it's like Hammer's vampire movies with swashbuckling.
0: OK, that sounds you're making it's, me want to so, watch fun. it even it's more. Great. Arrow, are you listening? Go yeah. do that because yeah. I want to see it you yeah, should just do releases of movies it was I going to yet. be a
1: tv that was going to be a tv show and they yeah. it was and then it wasn't going to move forward as a tv show and they were like let's just make it a movie and i wish there was a show well, Wish there was a whole season of captain Kronos.
0: well this was the first one was in 1970 the year i was born and uh it was you know them going it's time to make an american version of hammer horror films basically yeah. it is what well at least what it ended up being and i think that's largely because of the input of actor Robert Quarry, who, American actor who really wanted this to be taken seriously, clearly, because he's the guy who's taking it the most seriously here. He plays the Count Yorga, as it were. And it's a very straightforward vampire tale, very low budget. Um, in fact, I'm going to tell you, I thought the return of Count Yorga was ten times better than Count Yorga. Okay.
1: So, Count Yorga and return of Count Yorga, they basically have the exact same plot to the point that the protagonist of both films is played by the same actor playing completely different characters. (laughs) Right. But essentially, the, the, the trick to these movies, they're exactly the same in, in, in kind of overall plot is Count Yorga comes into a social situation where there's a bunch of couples, seventies, Couples who try to, you know, they're, it's post-sexual revolutions. They're trying to think more modern. Count Yorga comes into their lives and disrupts everything and starts like seducing the women through the power of his vampirism. And the men absolutely lose their shit and are like, Count Yorga has to be destroyed. He's not going to take all our ladies.
0: Now, you say it like that. It sounds like this is an anti-immigrant film. <laughs> so,
1: so this is the, basically you get the same movie twice with uh, the road, the, the kind of like, The plots through there are a little different, but they're basically the same movie, right? Right. But Return is like, it's a little bit funnier. It's a little bit darker. Yeah. It's a little bit brisker paced. Like all of the elements that you liked in one that you were kind of like, I can see what it's going for, are turned up just enough to make it a better scene. They
0: lost all the talking at party shit and and went like, well, let's get more people dying and like the whole thing with the sexy brides of Dracula. And the second one's like, wait, didn't he die decisively in the first one? Don't worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) He's back now because of some... Weird, um, uh, sky phenomena thing that happens every Don't worry about it. something to do with the wind. It's not important. The upshot is the brides and Yorga are back and they're causing trouble. And now they're going with the Mina storyline, the Mina Harker storyline. Like, wait, she reminds me of my lost love type thing. But another advantage of, uh, return account Yorga is first ever film appearance of Craig T. Nelson, right? Oh. From Poltergeist and Coach and things yeah. like that, who is genuinely kind of hysterical. <laughs> part in here where like they're going like he and another cop are going to you know we're gonna bust down the doors of Kat Yorga's mansion and like free the girl and and immediately they're just beset upon on all sides and they're just kind of hapless and they're running through the place like what the fuck is going on that sequence is genuinely funny as hell um neither one of these are particularly good movies but I can, especially the second one. This is one of those ones you're like, okay, you, you you can see wanting to show your friends this one. The first one I just thought was dull as dishwater.
1: The first man. one I was kind of like, oh, oh, it's like Blackula. It's it's taking the Dracula character and dropping him into a, like a modern seventies setting. Sure, and I'm like, that's like Blackula nineteen seventy. So like Count Yorga is Whitechula. You know, it's <laughs> like. <laughs> but then I found out that it's from the director of Blackula. Well, there you go. Uh, and I was like, "Oh, well, okay. That's like his stock and trade is to take him <laughs> old vampires and drop him into the '70s, the swinging '70s." Um, yeah, I, I liked watching these, and I will probably, uh, I'll probably return to them sometime in, a, in an October in the far future.
0: Can I say this though? No, you, yes, gonna, you can. It's like he, the actor, is doing a fun job in the role. Yeah, like, but. The way they choose to kill him in both movies is so like Homer Simpson. Oh, like, you're <laughs> like, what? I thought you were supposed to be this huge threat. He like trips and falls on a stake in the first one, basically. You're like, what, how, what happened to all your powers? You're like, you'll never <laughs> defeat me. Stab. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Good. Uh, yeah, oh, will oh, you, good. will you ever learn? Apparently not because they never made a third one despite lots of talks and a third movie that was about a, a vampire living in the sewers of, I believe, it, New York, who was uh, making homeless people into an army of vampires, starring the same actor that was originally set up to be a third Yorga film, but then something happened with rights and they had to change the name and everything. Ooh, what, did,
1: what did it become? Did it become a movie? Yeah, no, I'd it, see that movie. It, it actually
0: got made. I what, forget what's what it's the movie. Co- I forget what it's called. Okay, you can look it up yourself. goddammit. I'm I'm scrolling. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, the, 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 the Death Master.
1: The Deathmaster? Yeah. Huh. Weird. He's like, blowout's
0: just okay, but count your (laughs) guys.
1: Well, Deathmaster, like, I picture it in my head, and I think I'm thinking of Deathstalker, like this Frazetta-type goblin, like, raising a sword. Is that Deathstalker? No, I think that's
0: different. No, because that's a fantasy one. Yeah, yeah. Deathmaster is like, super low-budget horror film that Mm. takes place in modern day. All right. Yeah. I don't know. All right, we're going to move on to modern day, speaking of, and talk about Elvis, not the guy, cause that Elvis. wouldn't be moving to modern day, but the movie Elvis by Baz Luhrmann mm-hmm. that came out. Um, I full disclosure. I have not gone back and rewatched this. I saw this in the theater. I'm on the original review for this. I am a moderate. I, I would have said I was a huge Baz Luhrmann fa- fan, but now he's kind of ever since, um, his last movie before this, I've been like, okay, maybe I'm not as big a fan as I thought I was. And this one as well. I'm like, you know what? I'm in it for the Baz Luhrmann-ishness of it but the moment it starts going let's just do a biopic which is about halfway through it's to uh, almost 3 hour running time I was like oh my god yawn can we please I I'm also not the world's biggest Elvis guy. They always go Are you Elvis guy or Beatles guy. I'm a Beatles guy.
1: Yeah, there were a couple of knocks against this movie for me and it's me not being an Elvis fan, me not being a Baz Luhrmann fan, like I've I, like Not just not liking him, but knowing you have certain things where you're like, I don't eat green beans because I don't like them. So you avoid them. I don't like Baz Luhrmann movies, so I don't watch Baz Luhrmann movies. And it doesn't matter how good the reviews are. I'm like, I've already learned that I don't like Baz Luhrmann movies. So if he has a movie that comes out and it's critically acclaimed, chances are I'm not going to make time to see it.
0: And that way with Michael Ludicky, I'm like, uh, okay, guys, I get your, f- I, I y- y'all cr- freaked out about funny games. I was like, um, no, this movie hates the people who watch it. Go fuck yourself.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so this had a couple of strikes working against it, but here's what I liked about it. I thought that the kid playing Elvis, who I'd never seen before in anything else, what's his name?
0: Um, you have it on there? The uh, Sorry, I didn't pull it up. But it's, yes, he's amazing, right? He's I mean, great. The best part about the whole film is that, wow, you nailed this part.
1: Yeah. Uh, For somebody who I'd never seen in anything before, he was... Austin f- Butler. Austin Butler. fan gotta Give him the Oscar, whatever. Like, I'm fine. I'm comfortable with that. Uh, but he
0: was balanced out by an actor that we know is good, playing one of the worst roles of his career. <laughs> Tom Hanks yeah. as the Colonel, who is laughably horrible in this film.
1: Uh yeah, but it fits I I didn't I felt like it still fit the Baz Luhrmann vibe. Um of like this kind of like phoniness that Luhrmann goes for and that leads me to maybe my least favorite part in the whole movie, which I thought was like um really ill conceived which is the metaphoric moment made literal where Elvis gets a bucket of ice cold water splashed on his face when he hears the news that MLK Jr. has been been assassinated. And they realize it by having Elvis in this black void and someone throw water in his face. As you hear the news clips of the assassination. (laughs) And I was like, this may be one of the worst things I've ever seen in a movie Ever in my entire life. Wow, like, that's hard. Like, it was bad. More than, that, wait,
0: did you see Blonde? No. Okay. I
1: watched the first 40, 45 minutes of Blonde, and it was so miserable. Okay. so It, it was so it gets misanthropic so much I turned it off.
0: Yeah, it gets so much worse, and I was going to say, in terms of, like, worst things ever, there's a JFK sequence in there. I was like, okay, stop this we yeah. can stop we've got it now we've got one of the <laughs> worst scenes ever most mis- <laughs> bad idea film scenes yeah. okay yeah
1: i i i liked elvis lowercase l liked elvis and a lot of that was due to the performance i think it's a great elvis performance it felt it felt you run into the iconography of elvis where performances are difficult because you're you are you're inhabiting the iconography You're playing Elvis because, uh, Bruce Campbell. Okay. You're playing el. you're playing the Elvis icon that we know Yeah. versus like, Oh, you're Elvis, a person. And Austin Butler brought an element to Elvis where it was like, he felt like a person, which is really rare for Elvis biopics to do. Sure. Most of the time. And what we, we reviewed was, uh, the Cadillac movie that had uh, David Keith as Elvis, the, uh, What's the name of that movie? Where the, he moves into the hotel and romances the mom.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the name thing. of that. Yeah. Shit. I remember the movie, sort of, but yeah. yeah.
1: Kurt Russell and John Carpenter's Elvis. You yeah, know, yeah, There's been other stuff, too. And people have given fine performances, but they're, it's like they're dressing up in the iconography and this felt like a human
0: which is weird considering everything else in here and everything else in Bas Lerman's thing is about the iconography and yeah. that I felt like this is because of Butler's performance that yeah, he managed to totally bring is. so much to it despite all the you know pomp and circumstance around it all the flair and fireworks that you can't help but focus on that quality. Yeah. Um, it really is that good of a performance, uh, that it can stand out amongst all that. Now, I, like I said, I like the Lermanisms myself. <laughs> I like it, this mesmerizing, hallucinogenic, just like one thing bleeding into another. I like that. I, for me, the movie lost its steam when it, it felt like Lerman lost his steam. He's like, you know what? I'm bored. Can we wrap this up? No, yeah. Lerman, we have another 48 minutes to go. Fuck. All right, you can do it. Like yeah. <laughs> that where I'm like, this is feeling more like a standard thing. I, I I I don't care that much about Elvis overall, although I'll say several of the songs in here were stuck in my head for weeks afterwards, especially like caught in a trap. Like I couldn't get that out of my head forever. Yeah. Um still now it's back in my head, John. Thanks so much.
1: And I take back what I said about Austin Butler as Elvis, because having heard you sing just that part of the song.
0: That's so much better, right?
1: It was like way, way better. People are listening. They're not in the room with you. (laughs) They don't understand what just happened. Like my heart stopped.
0: Oh, thank you very much.
1: (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Whoa.
0: Hey, Elvis, do you want some lemonade? (laughs) Lemonade. That cool, refreshing drink. All right. So there are some bonus features here, as you might expect, with a big release like this. The Bigger Than Life, the story of Elvis, which is a lot of the people involved with the making of this, including Boz, Austin Butler, Tom Hanks, uh, get uh, talk about uh, how hard and happy they were making this film. Uh, not... That but sounds wrong. Not hard. Women. No, I know. I know. <laughs> they probably were, to be fair. At least Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. <laughs> how hard it was, and yet how ha- joyful it was making this film. Um Rock and Roll Royalty, the music and artist behind Elvis, because this actually spends a lot of time, not a lot of time, but enough more time than any other biopic before it, crediting his influences, which yeah. uh, this got points for me for that, of just saying, look, he- goes yes these are the people i took this from every other elvis biopic is like he's a genius he just came up with all of it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, fit for a king the style of elvis from the costume designer uh viva australia re- recreating iconic locations for elvis uh the le- the video for trouble and Musical Moments, uh, which is just song chapter selections, just like song goes, uh, okay. yeah, uh, the way they do in like Disney uh, Blu-rays and stuff. Our last film today is the biggest film of all time. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true. Uh, Top Gun Maverick is the biggest film of all time. Neat. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I never know what you're going to think. And I was the – on the review for this one originally, Top Gun Maverick, I was the one person who was, like, held back. I'm like, yeah, I did enjoy it. I think it's a fun little film, but you guys have lost your goddamn minds, like, praising it, like, five stars, perfect movie, all this, which we've been hearing just across the board. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I'm from every corner. I went, it's just Top Gun again with an extra, with a really admittedly cool 20 minutes tacked on at the end. That's kind of a fun little surprise, but the rest of it is just, it's like, let's do Top Gun again, only with better effects, <laughs> you know, and they got the Navy involved again, the Air Force. So they're able to use actual, uh, like, uh, real planes and, shooting footage of like on real battleships and what have you and all that looks great you know um it's uh, tom hanks himself is a special effect at this point you know <laughs> like it's funny i saw a, there was a thing before with tom hanks thanking the audience were coming tom cruise tom cruise not tom hanks sorry and you're like oh wow they did a lot of cg smoothing on your face because in that little bit you're like oh you can tell how old you are now yeah looking at this but in this. You're like, is this made five years after the original? <laughs> you look, I mean, they went in there. Somebody was paid $10 million, I guarantee you, just to go and smooth the wrinkles out of and creases out of Cruz's face and this thing. Um, whatever. I'm being cynical to some extent. I do think this is a genuinely fun film. It's just why are we losing our minds? Yes. The dog fights are really, really good, but so much of the film, like three quarters of this film is just the retread of this, of the first film with a bunch of like
1: hand wringing about guilt and stuff.
0: Like, oh,
1: ghost. yeah. It's a very, uh it's very textual screenplay, not subtextual. Everything is right there on the surface. Characters, clearly state what the way they feel about (laughs) whatever situations are happening uh i you know this was fine i was a little baffled because i was prepped like i was like oh i've heard that this is just literally a great film and then i was like this is a fine top gun sequel which to me doesn't equal great film i was like it's It's a good Top Gun sequel. Yeah. Like that's that's all it is. I mean, the only
0: reason... If this had come out right after Top Gun, with a, more or less the same plot, we would have, like, pilloried it for being just copying the formula. But now, because it's been decades... And,
1: but you can't even say, like... It would be so much easier to go, like, maybe people thought it was going to be bad because it had been so many years, but the hype leading into it was everybody thought it was going to be great. Everybody was like top gun maverick is going to be fantastic Which and then I, watched it and we're like it was fantastic i was I so
0: was- baffled by that <laughs> anticipation i'm like half of the people i know who were talking that
1: way had never even seen the original <laughs> film and i'm like because people think tom cruise the- really flies those planes that's the yeah. deal is like he's managed to do this weird career uh, uh triage in his <laughs> olden days where suddenly he's the American Jackie Chan and a hundred percent of everything he does is a hundred percent real. Right guys, Tom Cruise wasn't flying those jets. Right. Like he simply was no, like, no. He legally could not have flown those jets. <laughs> like even in the Mission Impossible stuff, like I guarantee you that there's movie magic that they're not telling you about. Sure. No, help, I mean, I help don't want to sell this legend of Tom Cruise as I don't. Whoa, want to... when Tom Cruise shows up on set, he really does every single thing I don't, that happens. In the I movie.
0: don't want to take he... credit away from Cruise for being much more active with doing his own stunts than almost anybody else at his level, especially right. for a guy of his age, because right. he really does do the bulk of his own stunts which is not the same thing as saying he does all his own stunts right <laughs> you know I mean like even Jackie Chan doesn't do his own stunts yeah. now and hasn't for 20 years
1: so <laughs> Tom Cruise does them for him
0: <laughs> Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise puts standing. on a Jackie Chan wig uh-huh. and it just comes in like I got it wait <laughs> Cruz you, you're running with the hand thing again oh sorry I forgot Chan they keep like
1: trying that. to get Harrison Ford to do it and he like keeps breaking every every bone in his body and they're like oh we're gonna put him in a Marvel movie and I'm just like, let man, don't let the man, let the man mend. Like, right. like, like every time he gets on set for the past 10 years, he breaks a bone. It's yes. Like, no. no, protect, put him in a shell. But you know what they can, you know, I mean, this is a tangent, but you know, it's, a, it's so that they can get him to Red Hulk and then they don't have to worry about recasting Thunderbolt Ross ever again because he'll be a CG character from here on out. Oh, right. So, yeah. hey,
0: yeah. we need you to go ahead and film scenes where you stop being Red Hulk. That will take place nine movies. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Back to Top Gun. Yeah. You have the story of um, Tom Cruise's Maverick character who is still the best pilot, but also reckless, damn it. And he is um, part of this. he, He has this job where he's like flying these experimental planes and he gets sort of like called back to teach. The Top Gun class, which, uh, he's not comfortable with because one of the students in the class is Goose's son Rooster, who, and I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but <laughs> is a lot like Maverick in his skill and recklessness. Right. 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 So, uh, so it deals with like, you're not, you, you were there when my dad died and I don't like you. And he's like, I couldn't do enough for your dad. And so I, I wish I could love you. I don't
0: know. Also, notable lack of Meg Ryan in the film.
1: I actually thought, that I was surprised that there was Meg Ryan, because they they show a flashback clip, and I was like, right, I didn't but, think she was in it at all. But that
0: wasn't new footage.
1: Right, but yeah. at least that got, her, that got her a check.
0: Right. So. But I was just kind of like, what the hell else has Meg Ryan got to do right now? When's the last time you saw Meg Ryan in anything? Yeah. You know, I'm like, really? You said, no, I won't. I will turn down a movie opportunity for this film that's going to spread wide as fuck with Tom Cruise, one of the nation's biggest stars. Really? Okay. Maybe she's just retired now. I don't. Know. I don't
1: know. I think they were cagey about casting anyone who m- brought to mind Tom Cruise's actual age. And I don't want to be mean to oh, any that's fair. actors or actresses. Well,
0: there was no chance they were bringing Kelly Gillis back because she quit acting years ago and you know this is not me being mean at all she just went i don't have to be an actress i don't have to be on camera i'm just gonna be a normal person and she completely let herself go and when you look at her you're like I you'd never guess in a million years that was like her from yeah. this beautiful blonde from the original top gun she Looks like a woman her age who is overweight and and gray hair. It's an
1: indictment of Tom Cruise more than it is an accusation at Meg Ryan or Kelly McGillis. It's more about Tom Cruise desperately trying to preserve himself in amber and constantly be seen as a young man, even as he gets old. It says more about him than it does either of the actresses.
0: Even as he's doing films that the theme is... (laughs) Oh, he's getting old, but not old, not
1: that old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, that was my, I, honestly, like that was my problem. One of my big problems with the mummy was how he was the, he was the young reckless treasure hunter. Right. And Jake Johnson from new girl was like the, like experienced, like, <laughs> like the had a good head on his shoulders guy. And I was like, why aren't these roles reversed? Like, why isn't Tom Cruise the, the wise mentor and Jake Johnson the idiot?
0: Well, that movie's just bad, period. It is
1: bad. But (laughs) but that was one where you could feel the age. That was the first time watching Tom Cruise that I ever felt like, oh no, like he's wrong for this because he's way too old for this. He's, uh, regardless, he's, he feels right coming back into Maverick. He picks up the role just fine. The role always seemed probably more than any other to be directly tied into his public persona the sunglasses the smile the leather jacket yeah it just there's things about it i think that people equate maverick with tom cruise in a way that none of his other roles they do that with no you're right so for him to come back into this is really easy because all he kind of has to do is quote unquote be tom cruise
0: and it doesn't hurt that you know, you get a really great actress like Jennifer Connelly to come in and be the one to go like, yes, I am the beautiful older actress who is responding to his charms that you ki- that first is like, I'm not going to fall for that again. And then later it's yeah. like, fuck, I'm falling for it, which is really just the movie's way of telling the audience. We know you came in here cynical, but come on, you know, you want to love Tom again. Yeah. And it kind of works. You know, she sells it.
1: She's good. Miles Teller's good. Everybody's good. It's good. It's good.
0: It's just not as good as y'all saying <laughs> it's, it's it is. <laughs> like,
1: y'all crazy. I, I'm just saying, like, I don't, I literally don't understand, like, some of the, like, best movie of the year and seeing it, like, three or four times in the theater. And, Anybody like,
0: who's gonna go, like, who's seen this and Everything Everywhere all at once, who's like, uh, no, top, the, the Top Gun's definitely better. I would have a hard time not just punching them in the mouth. <laughs> Pop! Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh my God. It was just like, that was autonomic response. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I wonder if we'll get a third. Since this made so much oh, money, I have to assume we're yeah, getting a third. Yeah, there's no question. And like, thing. not years from now, but like, I in a suspect
0: years. they're already in pre-production. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to, I assume they'll be like Top Gun Rooster and be like, okay, but even the, like, like the first Creed movie, it's like, yeah, well, he, Maverick's still in it the whole time. And it's <laughs> one of the major characters. We just like went, oh, but then Rooster has to do some shit.
1: I <laughs> liked that, uh, this is like a small thing, but when you've seen a lot of Tom Cruise movies, I liked that, Miles, they let Miles Teller be taller than Tom Cruise. Yeah. He's like That's a rare. full head taller than him, and they share scenes standing next to each because other. Because he's I was not like, a woman. Oh,
0: Because okay. he's not a woman. That's why. Uh, yeah. He's supposed to be playing like his sort of adopted son. So it's like, makes sense for him to be a little bit taller, even. Well,
1: I guess. Shelly Miscavige, wherever you are, I hope you enjoyed Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> what? That's the, the Scientologist lady that has, it's, nobody knows where she is. Oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of several, I suspect. Anyway, there are some, a bunch of bonus features here on this 4K. Cleared for takeoff for nine minutes, uh, looks at the aviation sequences, which honestly is the best part of this whole film. They're masterfully shot aviation sequences in this film. They're, yeah. the dogfights are incredible looking. Breaking new ground, filming Top Gun Maverick for about eight minutes. Uh, look at, how they did all the technical aspects of here of this a love letter to aviation you can see where this is going um Dear aviation <laughs> this is tom cruise specifically talking about how much he loves flights and shooting those sequences forging the dark star a look at the hypersonic what? aircraft scene in the beginning of oh, the film i was like the yeah. hell is what the yeah i know like so, wait what is that forging <laughs> the
1: dark star
0: a master class with tom cruise at the Cannes film festival now that's only available on the 4k version that Hmm. is not available on the blu-ray version uh but he sits down for about 49 minutes and talks about this film and his whole career and then two music videos one by lady gaga and one by one republic all of which brings us to the final round here insert music from uh uh uh, who wants to be a millionaire (laughs) as we put the spotlight on john and we go what is the pick of the
1: week this is a difficult da, week, da, da, da. isn't it? This is a this is a challenge. Um,
0: would you like to poll the audience?
1: I think that uh, if I were going to own any of these, the truth is it would be the Count Yorga set. I know it. If I was going to own any of these and revisit them anytime soon, it would be the Count Yorga set. Doesn't mean I think Count Yorga, the two movies were better than Blowout. For sure. I just don't know when not. I'll rewatch Blowout, <laughs> and I could see myself rewatching Return of Count Yorga. Okay, so I'm giving it to the Count Yorga set with that caveat that it's my it's specific to me. I don't necessarily expect anyone to agree with that opinion. I expect Blowout to be the or or even Top Gun to be the more popular choice here, where people are probably going, "Why wouldn't you pick Top Gun? Why wouldn't you pick Blowout?" Right. I'm picking Count Yorga because that's who I am. Uh,
0: is that your final answer?
1: Yeah. It's my final you sure answer.
0: You sure you don't want to go 50-50?
1: Well, what else was there? Did I forget something that no. blew me away? No, I don't think so. Okay. It's not, not Dream Child. It's not Elvis. I mean,
0: I would have said probably Blowout, despite having... Not, mixed feelings is the wrong yeah. word, but not, it was not as strong as I hoped it was. I still think it's a fantastic set and a really good movie that people should see.
1: Maybe if there was but. another movie in the set called Return of Blowout that was basically the same <laughs> movie, it was just Blowout all over it was again. just more violent yeah. And, yeah. yeah. then, then maybe I would give it to Blowout, but you're getting 222 two, two for the price of one. So, yeah, yeah. That's fair.
0: All right. Fine. I'll let you have your count, Yorga. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My God. Can't believe that sacrifices I have to make for the show. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>